So, Bob, this is interesting. I have been a huge fan of your work, and the work that you've done with Jobs to be Done has been instrumental in helping me not just be a better salesperson, but also be a better person by understanding people's motivations. And so that's why I'm super curious to speak with you today because you shot me off a LinkedIn message a few weeks ago that said you were writing a sales book based on jobs to be done. And so I'm curious, when did you first start thinking about this? Oh, huh. um, I, I, I want to say it's been 10 years, maybe, maybe, maybe like 12. I think one of the things that really kind of um, spurred off is I, I was very fortunate to have four hours a quarter with Clay Christensen at the Harvard Business School with no agenda. And we just think about stuff, right? And one one day uh, I was in the middle of like I don't know my fifth I think my fifth startup and I, I kept I kept asking Clay like why you know who's the sales professor here at Harvard and he's like we we don't have sales professors here I'm like okay what do you mean you don't have sales professors and we start to look around like well nobody has sales but like why are there no sales professors and and so part of it was, uh, started from that conversation to say like well, like well were there ever sales professors and there were. And so we did a little bit of research to kind of figure out, well, like, when did they go away and why did they go away? And but at the same time, it's kind of like as a as an entrepreneur, um, and you know, somebody building product, it's like you know, I feel like I sell every day, and and I, I, I nobody nobody has really helped teach me what it is. And the conclusion that Clay kind of outlined was the fact that there was really no sales theory. Right, like marketing has a theory and brand equity, and finance has a theory and economics, and but but there's selling is selling, and selling is more about product, and it's very focused on each industry and each thing, and there's no underlying theory to to, to sales. And I'm like, yeah, but like I, I feel like jobs could help me with that. Like, why can't I understand how people buy? And and buying is very different than selling, and so that's kind of where that thing all started back in 2010, I want to say, or 2008. You make a really good point here. Most of the people that I speak with, and certainly myself included, have learned how to sell based on selling. Yes. And we learn all sorts of techniques on how to sell. But oftentimes, the motivation that we have to sell, which is to get people to buy things this week. This That's quarter, right. Certainly, That's right. Is a little bit disconnected. Wow. With what buyers want. There's this, there's this disconnect. It sounds like. Yeah. 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 So the other part is you start to realize like, how did salespeople get that way? Like I got to, I got to close today. I got to close before the end of the quarter. I can get a promotion to close by the end of the quarter. And like, like when people are really struggling and they want to buy something, the last thing they want is actually a discount. Like they're, you're actually giving them like at some point it's like you're, you're, you're devaluing what they really wanted to be able to do. And so this whole aspect of like, I started to do some, I, I, that, that's another rabbit hole I went down, which was, I call it the church of finance. Like the church of finance is so, like think of it as like, you know, they've got a, you know, uh, an order, they've got certain rules, they've got basically, you know, orthodoxy. And it's like, we got to meet cash flow. We got to do it by a quarterly business. And so like, we got to actually book these sales before this end of this quarter. Otherwise we have to explain to other people what, what happened is like, yeah, but the customer doesn't need it today. And why would we give it to them at a discount today when they don't need it today, but they need it tomorrow? Well, we can have, you know, we need the cash. And you start to realize like, how did this all get so darn distorted? And so that's kind of, I, I literally cleaned the slate and I basically went back to saying like, let's, let's talk about how do people buy? What causes people to buy? And let's understand what we call the demand side of the world first before we go and build the supply side of how we should sell to them. Because we always we always start with the product. We look at the world through our product and service. We don't look at, you know, basically people who can't sleep. We look at people who needs a mattress. Well, everybody needs a mattress. Well, how many people, how many mattresses are out there? We, we do everything on correlation, everything from the supply side. Yeah, I get calls like this all the time yeah. from an entrepreneur it's an engineer that that's me codes up this new product and then says, how do I sell it? And then I say, well, what problem does it solve? And they'll go, I just built this kind of cool thing. And so this idea wow. of product first centric selling is a challenge. 
Well, the the other part though is then they then they do loosely relate like, well, you know, it's easier. Easier than what? Easier how? Mm. Easier when? Like all of a sudden they start to make things up, and so then they end up making this whole notion of what their product can do versus what do people really need? Like what 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 things that what, why in the world would they stop using what they use? This is the craziest part to me is that like we are all creatures of habit. We we literally do what we did yesterday if it works. And the moment that it doesn't work or the moment that we feel like we can do better, the moment that we struggle, that's when we decide that we need something better. And so half the time we keep call, talking about pain as the as like what's the pain and what's the gain. But there are pains out there that don't require people to struggle. Struggle means you care. You want to do something about it. You have energy to actually figure out how to stop something and start something. And that's it's really a good point. Right? It's, it's a good point because I have a pixel out on the TV in my back bedroom. Yeah. But I rarely watch that TV. And when I do, I don't notice the pixel all that much. Yeah. So although it's a problem... The problem isn't intense and frequent enough for me to warrant switching right. or looking at a, at a new TV because I have limited resources and so do you and so do your prospects. So this idea that a problem or a pain is enough, I think is a misnomer because right. I guess to your point, there's there's degrees of struggle. That's right. And, and those degrees, it's the context that's wrapped around it that actually makes it uh, valuable to people. So I always say context creates value and contrast creates meaning. And so it's these two things that have kind of driven me to write this book. You know, it's like this whole notion of like, I have to, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I actually have to sell employees to join my company. I have to sell investors. And the reality is, is if I take the word sell and say, how do I help people make progress? How do I help join my company and I'll help you make this progress? I'll help you learn how to do these things. I'll help you make this kind of money. Like what progress do they need, Right. So uh, another book I'm working on right now with uh, Ethan Bernstein and, and Michael Horn is called, uh, right now it's called Your Next Thing. And it's really about, we, we, the basic premise of that one is people don't actually, you know, people actually hire companies more than companies hire them. Mm. And so the whole aspect here is what, what causes somebody to say, today's the day I'm leaving this company, I'm going to go to that company. And from it, it like, like I wish I would have known this 20 years ago because I could have actually built a resourcing strategy that was unbelievable because I actually know all the signals of what somebody's ready to leave you and I can tell you all the things that they're going to look for. <laughs> Crazy. Right, so let's, un let's unpack this a little bit, Bob. So in, in any sales organization, there are opportunities that come into the sales organization. So yeah. these are people that are filling out contact forms and they're saying, hey, let me see a demo. There's a lot of intent but there's a whole other side of the business that is referred to as outbound. So these are yep. typically sales people that are proactively reaching out to people yep. cold and yep. they're cold calling them and they're cold emailing them where they're not coming inbound. So talk to me a little bit from a jobs perspective about how you start to use your framework right. and your, or your process or your theory when thinking about proactively going and approaching yeah. people that are not actively so, shopping. Yeah, that's right. So here's the, here's the crazy part is we just worry about who, who can we call? Who would be a target for this? Who would be, and it's all about who, and we get demographics and psychographics and the company's this big, or it's got this many employees, like they're a target for us. Right. But the reality is, is when you study what causes people to buy, it's not who they are that causes them to buy. It's, it's when they are and where they are. And so we end up having all the wrong things. So we end up cold calling. We have an acceptable 5% success rate in cold calling. Like, is it what that high? Yeah. Uh, even if it's that high. But like, my thing is, is like, how is that accessible? It's, and like, so one of my mentors very early on when I was 18, his name was uh, Dr. Deming. He'd always, he, he was hard of hearing and he'd, He'd, he'd talk at me, but the reality is like, he, I felt like he was screaming at me, but he always say, don't ever confuse activity with productivity. And I'm like, oh, and that, and again, as you, as you hear that, it goes through, it's like, that's the whole thing is like cold calling is what people can do, right? The, the fact is that, that they have to do to generate leads. But if you actually look at the really good salespeople, they just wait for people to be ready. They understand the signals. 
Like if you say like the really, really successful salespeople, like I don't need to cold call because they know when they have the problem, they just have to call me. I'm not actually, I have to be able to help cause them to be ready for me as opposed to literally, Hey, can I sell you this? Hey, can I sell you that? Like, this is why we don't pick up our phones anymore. Well, let me, let me, let me push back on you a little bit. Cause I'm curious Please. to your perspective on this because we have obviously a ton of people listening to this, that that's, yeah. that's their job. Oh yeah. 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 They're, they're so, paid and compensated to, to reach out to people cold. Let me tell you a yeah. story and I'd like to get your take on this. So this was, I don't know, a couple years ago I was in the mall yeah. with my wife and she was shopping and I literally didn't need anything. I wasn't looking for anything. I was yeah. just literally killing some time yep. and I walked into a fit to run store. And if the store associate said to me, what brings you in today? I'm going to say nothing. If she said, do you have any problems? I'm going to say no. But this woman didn't do any of those things. Instead, she looked down at my sneakers and she said, oh, are you a runner? I said, yes. She said, what distance? I said, marathon. And she said, have you ever had a running gait test? And I said, what's that? And then moments later, I'm literally, and I have video of this, on a treadmill in the store. She records it and she says, hey, look. Are you aware that if your feet are pronated and you're running in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get injured on long distance runs. And if you'd like, we could see if your sneakers are made for pronated feet. And to make a long story short, she showed me some unbiased, credible information about my sneakers. And I ended up switching. Obviously, it's a $180 purchase. This isn't a $10,000 mattress. But the idea here is that a, a salesperson's primary function when they're doing outbound is to sort of shine a light or illuminate yeah. problems that people might not know about that can hurt them or to show them what's possible. And you had mentioned, you know, the great salespeople yeah. kind of sit back and wait. Those are order no. takers in my, no. in my book. No, so, great. So, are come. so let me, yeah. So let me clarify because that's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it, it literally plays toll right into the framework that, uh, or the, the kind of the, the, the way that I've been thinking about it, which is, if you think about the, what we call the timeline, what is the timeline by which people buy as opposed to the sales funnel, right? There's, there's really six s- systems, six stages that people are in when they're buying. There's either a first thought, and this first thought is really about creating the space in the brain for a solution to fall into. If you can't actually create the space, right, then, then they can't see it, Right. The second is once they create the space, then there's got to be what we call passive looking. This is where you actually are learning to figure out whether you have a problem or not and what kind of solutions are possible. And then once you once you get to the point of, of past passive looking, you start to actively look. This is where you're going to invest time, effort, knowledge, other people to get things going. And so most, time, most of the time, salespeople are worried about actually people who are actively looking and deciding. But the reality is the first thought is the most important aspect in the in the buying process because we can't actually buy anything if we can't see it. And there's so many things in our lives, there's no space. Clay used to say, questions create spaces in the brain for solutions to fall into, right? Mm. And, and so like the thing is, is what a good cold calling person does is they create a, a space for them to actually think, a space that actually creates energy for them to go like, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. Right. So here's the crazy part is there's only four ways to create the first thought. Only four that I found. Now I'm hoping that people can help me find more, but one is ask a question and don't answer it. Two, create a metric that they can actually measure so they can see the problem that they actually have. Like, so the notion of, Hey, have you ever heard of a gate test? God, that's a great idea. Have you ever measured your steps? Right. All of a sudden, no, like all of a sudden metric, those things create the space to say like, God, I got to walk more today or boy, I don't have a gate test. That's why my thing hurts. Right. The third one is to tell people a story. And the fourth one is to state the obvious, the thing that nobody wants to actually hear. Why is the TV so loud? (laughs) Mm. Right. And so, though, so what I've done is I've taken this, this notion of how people buy, and then I took my engineering mindset and said, well, customers have a system to create a first thought. And as a company, what are the things that we do as salespeople, as marketing people, as customer success people to help them create that space? So this is a really interesting point. I want to delve in on this first thought because the traditional cold calling approach, the way SDRs or sales development reps are compensated is to book demos. Yeah. And to your point, what's happening is when I cold call most of the time, 
I'd say, yeah. I don't know, 98% of the time when you cold call someone, they're not actively shopping and they're not actively That's looking right. at your offer is a demo. So there's this disconnect, which is why response rates are so abysmal. And even if people yeah. get persuaded to say yes on the phone, the show rates are low and they're certainly not buying. Even if you manage to book a meeting with someone, now you've taken up resources from an account executive who's even a more yep. expensive resource to yep. do a demo with someone that's probably not buying at least for the next three or four months. So with regards to this first thought, what are you proposing in terms of not doing a demo, but it sounds like you're proposing oh. like starting a conversation, which eventually it, might lead to a sale. It is though. It is. So here's the thing. So I work with a company called AutoBooks, which is, uh, so one of my co-founders, Chris Speck is now at AutoBooks. He's the head of product there. And I'm working with the sales and marketing team there. And, and I asked Kyle, his name is Kyle Bazzi and, and uh, Derek Sutton and Kyle, I asked Kyle, well, like, what's the thing that you really like are most struggling with as, as the sales executive? He's like, the, the demo, man. The demo is just like, I feel like I have to change it every 90 days. It's not resonating with people. It's just not there. Like at some point, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, it helps goes. And all my salespeople, like they're just trying to book demos. And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about the demo for a second. So, so tell me about your sales process. And he walks me through the sales process. You know, they have, you know, uh, the outbound, they have basically marketing, they have basically scheduling, they basically do a demo. I'm like, okay. I said, so tell me where the customer's at in the timeline. And they're like, what do you mean? I mean, like, well, a demo in passive looking is very different than a demo in active looking is a very, is very different than a demo in deciding. He's like, no, no, we give the same demo every time. I'm like, so, and you expect to close off of those. Yeah. Well, that you get to a demo and you close. I'm like, okay, let me, let me put it this way. How about if we actually understood, like if I'm in passive looking, which is, I, I know I have something, I got to figure it out. I don't actually know who to pull in. I don't even know the language. I know the language of the problem, but not the solution. Like I need you to tell me some stories. I don't need to know everything but you need to help me onboard other people. So when we get to active looking, I can pull other people in. It's like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, so tell me about what active looking like. Well, they want to see possibilities. They want to see all the bells and whistles. They want to hear different things. And then he goes, well, deciding, deciding is where they just, they, they you know, hammer the screws. I'm like, no, they're trying to make trade-offs. Nothing's ideal. So we actually took it. We took their one demo. And we broke it into three different demos. There's a passive looking demo, an active looking demo and a deciding. They're fundamentally very, very different. And so all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but I got to do three demos. I'm like, well, here's the thing. If they don't have enough energy to actually do the second demo, they don't have enough energy to actually buy. And so what you do is you actually wait until they're actually strong enough or how can get enough people on board. Here's the crazy part is, is by breaking it into three demos, they've been able to literally have the time to close on a cold lead <laughs> and, and literally double sales. Yeah, it's it's a it's really interesting because part of the sale also is knowing when the timing's not right. So exactly. you spend your time with people that are not best well, fit. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, if I were to walk into an Apple store, yeah, and I have a keynote presentation the next day, and my laptop is making a weird noise. The last thing I need is the rep to educate me on yeah, laptops. Like the, I need them they, to say, "What do you need?" And I'm going to say, "Move nice." fucking stuff off this laptop, exactly, exactly right. laptop before I lose my but, presentation and I'm not looking at, they have these classrooms set up where to your point, I might sit in and see what's possible with the new iPhone. But this is the problem with the con. No, nobody's actually taking into apart the context. They, they, they almost feel like because we know who they are, we know what to say. And the reality is we're not listening to what they're saying. Right. It's like at some point in time, you like you have to not only listen to the words they say, but how they say it. So so the, the whole job to be done, you know, kind of theory and, and methodology is built off a of criminal and intelligence interrogation. People lie. And they don't lie on purpose. They lie to themselves. Right. Like, why would you buy those shoes? My thing is, you're going to come up with some other reason why you bought those shoes. But if I actually interrogated you why you bought those shoes it had a lot to do with the, the, the anticipate anticipation part of the problem, as well as part of the, the pain you already had. It's a set of things. There's never one reason why somebody buys something. Never. I don't use that word often, but it's never one thing. Yeah, but let, let's um, let's again let's unpack this a little bit because so much of selling is to create things from yeah. scratch, right? So that, I, I, again, I'm what I'm tasked with, and what most of the people that are listening to this podcast are tasked with is 
not so much those leads that are coming in proactively saying, Hey, yeah, I, I'm just to use your words, I'm just passively looking or I'm actively mm-hmm. looking and we're going to go ahead and dice the demo. If there's some level of intent or interest there, they, they've got some struggle yeah. That, yeah. And that's causing them to do the one thing that they don't want to do, which is talk to a salesperson, like something's going on. And no, of course no. there's degrees of that, right? Maybe right. And nobody wants to be for, sold, right? Nobody wants to be sold. But what we're talking about here that I'm really interested to hear your take on is the, these other groups of people that might not know about yes. a problem that yes. they have. Um, I, let me give you another example yeah. of a brilliant piece that I got again, several months ago. I love to detail my car on the weekends. I use a bucket and a sponge and I've been using a bucket and a sponge forever. I don't have a problem. I'm not shopping for a bucket and sponge. I don't want a bucket and sponge demo. Everything's fine. Um, until I got this email and I'll never forget the sentence because it was pretty brilliant. And the sentence says, said, what are you doing to ensure that your wash mitt doesn't scratch your car? And you're like, I didn't even know it could. <laughs> right. I didn't even know it could. Right. So then I keep reading and it turns out that when you wash your car with a bucket, yeah. the dirt can settle into the suds and get on yep. your sponge and it could scratch your car. And these guys were selling a bucket with like a grate on the bottom yep. of it. Yep. And you rub your sponge on the car grate guy. and the dirt sediments to the, to the bottom. And I, and I bought it immediately. Again, we're oh. talking about things that are, you know, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but this idea of finding problems and illuminating right. problems so, is really the job of this team of outbound sellers yes. that are listening to this. And I wanted to get your take from an yep. outbound perspective or from so, a perspective of people that are not actively even yep, shopping. Yep. Like they're just washing their car. Yep. yep. So so the, the the reality is is that I I think of that as the 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 front end of the timeline, which is first thought and passive looking. This is where where how do I how do I think of it as how do I create enough energy for you to actually do something? And here's the thing is is you as a salesperson don't actually create the energy. The customer creates their own energy. So part of it is to actually understand what's the way in which they create energy. So the whole thing is, is what they did is you, if you're washing your car by hand, I can guarantee you love your car. It's probably a car you've had for a long time and you just like to take care of your car. Right. And the fact is, is one, the first thought is like, let me say, is like, did you know that this could happen? Holy crap, I didn't. So the first thing is, is, is you can create what we call a push force, something that causes somebody to go like, wow, maybe this is a problem. Maybe I need to do something about this. What's, a, what's about, a push force, Bob, for people? Yeah, that are so, so we, talk about, we talk about the forces of progress. There are forces that, that play at, at helping people make progress. There's, a, there's push forces, which are part of the context. These are the things that literally go like, what I'm doing now is actually not good or not good enough. And it usually comes from the negative side of the world. And it comes from this aspect of like, what I'm doing isn't good enough. And it's, it's not about the outcome. It's more like, I, I, like, holy crap, I'm scratching the car. Like I could be, what, what, what do I do? Right. So are these, are these push forces things that I've noticed on my own or could they also so, be things that people are bringing to my attention? So my, my favorite is the thing is, is a lot of times you notice them, but you don't know that you can do anything about it. So here's the thing is like your bank, like how often are you like, Oh my God, the bank screwed this up again. It's like, but you don't go to a new bank cause you don't even think that there's anything possible. So a lot of times we struggle with a lot of things, but we just don't know what else to do about it. And it's not big enough. But when we get the data, when we get a story, when we get a way to frame it, one. So the, here's the thing is to get a push force with no idea of what to do is just frustration for everybody. It literally is like, well, so I'm scratching my car, so I can't wash my car. I know I don't want to take it. How do I get my car clean if I can't do this? Right. And that's where all of a sudden you have to create the pull forces. The pull forces are what is what's pulling them. And it's not the features of your product, but the outcomes of the of what the product will do right? That will help them make the progress. But conversely, there's two other forces. There's the anxiety force, right? What do I do with my old bucket? Will it fit in my old bucket? Like, like Mm. what's like, like, do I need to get a new sponge? Is it, is it embedded in the sponge? So I need to get a sponge and this fill and this grate. Like what? Like, so all of a sudden there's anxiety around it and you have to address those anxieties in order for people to make that progress. And the second part is, is there's, there's a habit, at some point, there's a habit that they might have to overcome, which is like, you know, I might need this in every bucket. Like now I know I'm scratching this. I actually wash the floor. I do this. That, you know, I might need three of these. Like, how, like, will it fit in every one of the buckets? Do I need to get more than one? Like all these different things. And so we, we talk about these forces. So in this book, uh, Demand Side Sales 101, we talk through both the timeline and the forces that cause people to buy and then bring it back to what do I have to do as marketing 
uh, outbound, inbound? Like what are the things that we do to support the customer in making the progress they want to make, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to sell them something they don't want or something not on their time frame. Yeah, so just to make sure that I'm tracking here, this idea from an outbound perspective, if I understand you correctly, you can affect the force by exactly. asking a question that gets people to scratch their head and think, hmm, I'm not sure. Like that's that's kind of step so, one, so, right? It's like So here so here's a, here's a here's an ad at work that is like, how much ZQL are you gonna take? How many bazas ZQL does it take for you to realize you have a mattress problem? <laughs> <laughs> right? And and I can substitute that with I can substitute that with scotch. How many bottles of scotch do you have to drink before you go to bed? Before you and you're like, oh my god, that's it. How how, how late can you work out so you can sleep through the night? Right, like there's right. all these things, and, and it has nothing to do with the mattress. It has everything to do with sleep. Right, now it's you, this sort of problem before product. It's it's to be honest, it's the experience that they have that they actually know they actually, we call it non-consumption. Non-consumption is where people want to make progress, but they can't. And because they can't, they actually don't know it's possible. So like I, I work with a guy at uh, Southern New Hampshire University, his name is Paul LeBlanc. And Paul talked about the fact is like, how many people want to go back to college, but can't? And in 2010, he heard me talk about jobs and we basically started to interview uh, uh, basically people who, what would cause him to say, I'm going to go online. And, and from that, he realized like, that's not just, you know, a thousand, he runs a school of 2,500 students at the time. And he starts with 500 online students. He does, right now, this year, he'll have over 200,000 online students. He'll graduate over 50,000 students, right? And the whole aspect is how many people want to go back to get back to college, but, but can't? He's literally overcome that. Hmm. So the so real let's, question. Let's, so the real question yeah, is, ahead, how do you find people who are struggling, and what are they struggling with, and where are they struggling where they've just given up? And 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 the fact is, is this starts by, to be honest, interviewing your current customers and understanding the exact reasons and the context that they actually were in that caused them to actually say, "Today's the day to buy your product," and the outcomes, not your product, the outcomes that they get by using your product. Right. So let's put you on. Let's uh, let's actually put you on the spot a little bit because it's well, really interesting. Let's let's say, let's say I'm a triathlon coach. Yeah. And one of the problems that people like me have that are working and that have families and they're you know over fifty years old is to train for an Ironman. Um, you lose your Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that is you, you do these workouts on Saturday that are crazy long, and you're so tired on Sunday that you, you just lose you lose your Sundays. As the way yeah. I put it, you kind of just sleep all day and. The problem with that, of course, is it doesn't do uh, great things for your family yep. and doesn't do great things for your marriage. Let's pretend for a second that instead of training 17 hours a week and losing your Sundays, this new triathlon coach had a better mousetrap that allowed you to still finish an Ironman race, um, but without losing your Sundays. Yep. Um, but because I've been training for an Ironman all this time, the way I always, I just accept to your point that I have to pop the pills, that, I am, that I'm yep. going to be sleeping. Hey, hey, Jen, yep. for the next six months, yep. when I train for this thing, I'm going to be sleeping on Sundays. So, yep. you know, this is the sacrifice. If I wanted to start to shine a light or move forward this force yes. um, it, with a question, I guess, it's as simple as, yep. a, I mean, we're talking about re- literally a one-sentence email, potentially. Yep. Um, how would you start to think about that? Or maybe you need some more information. I know you're nope. not a triathlete. Nope. I, I, I actually, I'll say I was a triathlete. Now I've, I've decided just to, I, I ride my Peloton and I ski and I, and I <laughs> sail and I play, like I, I've, I've toned it down a little when I had uh, stress fractures in both my feet and my knees when I ran the, ran a marathon. So I'm like, okay, I can't do that. But here's the thing is, so, so part of the, the, the push force here is like, so what are you missing because you're running the, you're running the triathlon? Yeah. Like, like, what here's you, the, what are you giving up on Sunday? No, or, or, you know, uh, um, so, uh, and to be honest, I would actually do some interviews to find out the real emotional thing is like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, a Sunday night, like, uh, at Sunday dinner, like how bad do you feel? Cause you missed the, you missed apple picking or you missed, mm. you missed the, you know, the family thing is like, you know, your kids are growing fast. What are you going to miss next Sunday? <laughs> See, this is a great point you're bringing up, and I want to really delve in on this because you're hitting something really important here. Most sales emails and cold calls are based on logical 
rational propositions and benefits. Yep. We're yep. going to help you run 50 times faster. We're going to reduce yep. your bike times by this. We're going to help you attain this. Um, what you're talking about is the underlying emotion that people feel yep. that they can't really express that you're actually expressing better than they, they can express That's right. it. So I work, uh, worked with a company called Precision Nutrition, right? And one of the things we found out is one of their uh, bigger parts of the market were people who were, um, you know, basically they had been taking care of people their whole, most of their lives. So they take care of kids and, and now the kid got a car. I was, they were swimming and now all of a sudden it's like, and, I, and to be honest, I let myself go because I was, I was doing all these things. But now it's like, all right, I know I need to take care of myself, but like now it's time for me. But like, I can't go to the gym. So the, the, what they were looking for is somebody to help them get in shape to go to the gym. It sounds irrational, but the fact is they didn't feel like they had enough confidence to go to the gym or they had an injury. And the fact is, is as they have the injury is like, you know, um, it's like, I, I, I get to a point where it's like what they call they labeled it as livable overweight. Like, and, and then they started to miss out on things. And when you started to realize that everybody else is talking about like in the health and fitness field, like we can get you to the best you can be. We can help you get to the next level. And it's like, yeah, we'll get you back on the court. We'll actually get you, we'll take care of you. Like you took care of them. Like those just small statements literally had people flooding in the doors. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, you're sort of getting at the underlying emotion and sales, yeah. you know, as the great Zig Ziglar said, it's really a transfer of emotions. And if you That's can right. start to express what people are feeling, um, it's a much stronger way to persuade. And that's that's what this is about. So we talk about there's three sources of energy. There's emotional, functional, and social. Where emotional is like the energy that comes from inside me because it's it's based on my emotions and my what 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 is driving me. Functional is based on uh, time, based on effort, by, based on memory, like how many steps but like I'm you know, I might get frustrated because of the functional, or lack of functional things. So it's functional energy causes me to be emotional about it, or does emotional energy cause me to be functional about it, right? And so part of this is as you start to dive into that timeline, you start to realize like there are patterns that we just don't see. And the other thing is we're usually so focused on the product and the features and benefits of the product as opposed to the, the, the context and the outcome of, of what they're trying to do and the progress they're trying to make that we miss people more often than we get them. Yeah, and I think to your point, the root cause of this, if you're a new sales development rep and you're selling to chief marketing officers, you've probably never been a chief marketing officer. And so you're given these persona sheets for marketing about value props and benefits, but the language that you're getting is very much disconnected from how people actually talk about exactly. the struggle. And exactly. so how do you get at that? You're mentioning interviewing customers, but let's, let's again, a lot of people listening to this are, yeah, you know, they're they're they're, so, they're new reps, and, yeah, yeah. and I would so imagine they're saying, yeah. hey, "My manager will never let me interview a customer." What are some other ways that reps can better understand how so, people yeah. talk and how they describe the struggle, so they could use that in their messaging? So, one of the things I've been doing is having uh, people as they as the, as people get onboarded, like to 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 your product, is like have the salespeople sit on the onboarding, but don't don't worry about the mechanics of the onboarding listen to the words they say because they're actually coming from the other side. They're coming from the demand side. And so what's the words that they're using? Because most of the time we have to then translate and educate on what this term means or that team term means, but we actually have to speak their language. They're never going to speak our language, especially as a prospect. And right. so this is a really great, this is a great tip because if you're a, a treasure trove of this language, if you're oh. having an inbound prospect, one of the great questions you can ask at the beginning is something to the effect of uh, look, look, the last thing you probably want to do is talk to a salesperson. Like what's going right. on that caused you to want to reach out today? What have you tried that haven't worked? And exactly. sort of listen to all these, all these things. Like, so, so yeah. And so, so I run right now, I run a small design and development firm. So we build products for people or help people build products. Um, and, and one of the things is when somebody like says, you know, the, like they, they can, you know, they'll get on the phone. I'm like, like, how did you get to me? And they'll go like, well, I knew this person to that person to that because it's like, like, it's not easy to find me, to be honest, right? <laughs> the, 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 the second, the second is, is like, like, what do you, what are you hoping I can do for you that that you can't do for your, like, like what, like, and and they'll just like, and that's an hour call, and I haven't even told them what I do. So that's a great question, right? That question right there, write that down if you're 
have anything to write it down with. What are you hoping that I can do that you can't do? Right. Right. Because if you're not hearing a lot of energy behind that, chances are that not is not going to close right away. Exactly and right. That's well, what I wanted to get your, your perspective on right now, Bob, because this is another big problem that salespeople have and sales leaders, quite honestly, is they have these, what they call inflated pipelines. Oh, so, yeah. You know, 20, 20, 30 opportunities in there and it becomes story time. And I read a stat somewhere that only 25% of those close, 25 go to the competitor, the other 50% actually end in no decision. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your take on what's your theory on what salespeople can do on these initial calls, let's say yeah. they're outbound or inbound, to be able to determine two things. Yes, I have someone that is likely to buy this quarter because that's how I'm compensated. Or no, they are not likely to buy at this time so that I can get out and spend my time with people that are most likely to buy. How would I, what are the tells? What do I ask? Yep. How do I know where they are so I can make that determination and wow. feel confident in my in my pipeline forecast. That's right. So there's two things just so we're clear. I'm, I'm actually trying to do this. I want to actually change that crap because I think that's just crap. Like I appreciate that's how people are compensated and that's how the sale, the, again, I go back to the, the, the church of finance only rewards people who close this quarter. Right. But the reality is like real helping people buy takes more than a quarter for gosh sakes. Right. So that, that's the first thing, but I understand that that's the reality. So here's the thing is, is what uh, I sat down with, um, Kyle and his team. And I basically said, all right, like you have your funnel. I want to throw the funnel out. And I want to say like, I want to know where people are in the timeline. And like, I, I, I don't know. I said, well, let's talk about it this way. There's, there's, there's tells, there's signals to tell me where they're at. So when they're saying like, I need to know this, or I need to figure this out. And it's I, 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 they're typically impassive looking because they're not actually figuring out how to tell anybody else about it. And the moment it says like, well, we need to get together and we need to actually get a cross-functional team. And, you know, we're, we, we want to see the possibilities. The we means they're inactive looking, right? And so part of it is, is you can actually listen if they record their calls or they just listen to some, like we, we actually sat through and said, like, how do we know whether somebody's in a first thought, a passive looking, active looking, deciding mode? And by doing that, we then actually say like, all right, how, it's not like, how do I go from passive to deciding? How do I just move them from passive to active? What is the things I need to ask from them? And and to be honest, one of the things that's so crazy is they were so afraid to do this is to ask them like, we we know where they are in our sales funnel, but but do you ever ask them where they are in their buying timeline? And to be honest, people are like, that's a great question. Well, you know, and they're like, what do you mean? And you explain first thought, passive, active. They're like, oh yeah, we're still in passive because we don't know enough to be able to do that. Great. Let me actually, here's how I can help you get through passive. And then when you get to active, this is what it's going to be like. So Bob, right. you're actually sharing with them the graphic and you're yeah. asking them to kind of self-select where they yeah. are. And, and they'll say, oh no, we're, we're, we're in deciding. I'm like, okay, so what trade-offs are you going to have to make? Well, what, what are you talking about trade-offs? It's like, well, what are the things you've looked at? It's like, well, have a, so it feels like you're either more passive looking or late passive looking and early active looking. You're not really actually deciding. Yeah, that's probably right. Like, helping them actually know where they are because they actually don't think about their, what they're doing as a process. They're just like, I gotta, I gotta buy a new piece of software. It's like they don't see a process. And if you help them see the process, now you can actually say to be successful, here's the way successful people buy. Let me tell you a story. And you tell the story, not from your side, the supply side, you tell it from their side. Yeah, or to your point with the Church of Finance, and I really, I really like that. Sorry, it's it's, it's going to be. I, I I hesitate to use it because I feel like it's going to get lopped on too much, but it, it just feels like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I like it because part of this also, when you're having this conversation, they point to the graphic, and if they are early on, and they're not motivated, because people are only going to switch for their reasons, not yours. You can shine a light exactly. on stuff and make people aware of stuff, but if there's no desire, that's really good to know. Exactly. Because then you can have another strategy, which is you get out and marketing takes over and they nurture them a little bit. They educate them on some things. And then when they get to a tipping point or enough dominoes tip over, they they kind of they come back. So the advantage of your approach here is not only to spend time with people that are most likely and to help them along, but right. also to identify that 
It's not your job to progress people on the timeline. <laughs> it's their job. It's their job. And my thing right. is, is, what can you do to help? And here, let, let, here's what I'll do. I'll put you on a, on, a, on a drip campaign that literally will inform you and remind you. And so when things, when things change, give me a call back. And they call back like, and your first question is, what's changed? What has changed in your context to say like it's worth actually? Because nobody just randomly calls you. There is no such thing as randomness is the laziest concept in the world. It literally causes us just to wait for people to do shit. Sorry, I, I yeah, didn't. I, I was, uh, I I was tried shopping to watch a while. Language. I apologize. <laughs> I was shopping a while back to your point for a pretty expensive outdoor grill. I called these people online called the barbecue guys, and I was early on. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to buy, and they sensed that. And they said, hey, Josh, you know, from time to time, we send out these recipes yeah. on how to be a better griller. And if you'd like, we could put you in that you know, campaign. I said, sure. And I would get these videos. Um, not about the barbecue, but about how to be a master griller. Exactly. And they were awesome. Like how to cook salmon and how to cook fish without burning stuff. And it leveled me up. And when it was time for me to actually switch, to be honest, I don't think I even thought about any other company. There, like that's right. That's right. Because, because here's the point is you want to be a great griller. You don't want a great grill. And so <laughs> it, it's the aspect of like, like Canon and Nikon literally fo focused on building the best camera. And Apple walked in and said, no, I'm just going to make people great photographers. And all of a sudden it's like, bam, you're like, wait a second, what happened to these people? Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 this is where, so the one thing I, I, I've realized is like at some point the salespeople have been taught to focus on the product. And we even talk about the customer through the product. If I build mattresses, well, who needs a mattress? If I build summer, who needs a summer? It's like, no, it's like, what, what go, what's going on in their world that says today's the day they need help. Right. And so part of this is changing the reference point from the product to the struggling moment. And you, once you yeah. see the struggling moments and then it's their timeline, uh, you, you said it like people buy on their own. You can't convince anybody of anything. They buy on their own. They buy for their own reasons. But what you can do is help them understand what and create the energy to help them motivate them through the process. Yeah. So in the, in the, in the process of the, triathlon example, because I think it's something that's easy that everyone can grasp. And let's say you and I were having an initial conversation and you sent me something that sort of sparked my interest. And I, I jumped on a call with you. I said, Hey, you know, Bob, this email looks interesting. Like I would like to get my Sundays back. Yeah. Um, but you don't, you have to determine like how motivated I am because yeah, that's again, exactly right. I got, I got to go back. Like, so, so tell me what you've missed. Tell me, tell me like, mm. you know, like what, what would you do with your Sundays back? Would your family want you back? Do they actually enjoy it without you? Like, like, no, because let's be clear. It's, 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 it's a, like nobody wants to ask the question, but that's a serious question. Your wife might go like, finally, I get some time with my kids. <laughs> that's great. So, you, so yeah, so finding out what they, their reasons would be for getting their Sundays back. And what are you listening for to determine where they are on the timeline? Because yeah. you know if they're – if it's outbound, right, you you prop, you know, so, for the most part, they're going to be early on. There's going to be edge that's cases. Right. Where first they, for, first they thought are. is going to be like, well, I haven't really thought about it. This is where you got to get them to say, well, how many Sundays have you been? Have you missed? What mm. what and what special events have you actually passed by? Like, what's the big deal if you miss a few of these things? Like, you have to actually get them to think about it, right? And so, passive looking is about accumulating it up, gi giving them the knowledge to actually realize is this a big enough problem and what are what what is the possible solution sets, right? And, and do you do you, do you also recommend sort of peppering in, you know, summarizing that for them in terms of the impact? Like, uh, how, so here's know? here's the here's the crazy part is when I do that, I actually summarize it wrong and wrong enough that they make it better. <laughs> what do you mean? So, so I learned this from a detective, right? So when you play back the story, so let me see, you're doing this, you're doing this. And it's like, well, it, it doesn't seem like that big a deal because you've only missed three Sundays, but that's all right. But you've missed eight Sundays. And, and, and the fact is, if you don't fix me from three Sundays to eight Sundays, then it's not that big a deal. But if you say, no, no, it's been eight Sundays. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. What eight Sundays? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I actually, I use the notion to help them understand where the energy is that's going to motivate them to do it. So what's great about that is it's coming from them, not you. I don't say a word. And, and the thing is, uh, like, if I get them to say, yep, 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 the fact is then it's me saying it all. So what I try to do is I actually play back, I'll play back like 80% of the story right, but I'll actually play 20% wrong. And I'll be actually prototyping in my mind different things that will say like, well, you know, uh, 
your wife doesn't really mind, but this is going to like, no, my wife really minds. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Okay, great. Okay. And it's like, well, give me an example of what, when you said she minds, like she's having a hard time with, oh, well, she had a conversation, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So, so now you actually are pulling out the hard stuff that literally is causing them to build the energy to move to the next phase. It's almost like you're Columbo. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, but that's what a good salesperson is already. I mean, we, 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 those are, those are all the technique the, the hard part to me is the thing is, is like the way that you're taught sales or the way they teach sales at any like school kind of thing is it's all about either the product and the way in which we like the, the pre-programmed presentation of how you should sell. It's kind of like, here's how we should teach. But the reality is every student learns differently. And so the fact is the school sucks because we're literally trying to teach to the average, <laughs> right? Right. This is, this is about actually listening and understanding and understanding the pathways by which people actually make progress. How do they learn? How do they actually decide? And, yeah, one, and- of the things I, I, one of the things I talk about here, I would love to get your take on it, is I, I do this thing where I'm like, you know, buyers are typically asking themselves six questions in a very specific order. You can think of it like levels of a video game. And one of the first questions they ask is, why change? Yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> so the push force, right? If there's, right, if there's no push, right. if there's no push, we're not, I don't even have space in my brain to hold you. <laughs> I, I, that, that's it. Okay, let me get your take on one more thing. Yeah, yeah, wrap yeah. Up here. I'm sorry, keep going. I want the six questions. If you, the six <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why change? Yep. Why you? Yep. Why your company? Yeah. Why now? Yeah. Why why this amount of money? Yeah. And why not something else? Yep. So here so here's yeah, the so thing. I think why you and why here's the thing, why you and why your company needs to be last. I think it should be why do you need to change? Why now? Right? Yeah. And 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 in some cases, you know, um um why why this and then why you and why the company. The thing is is I know that people buy the way that we've been taught is that, you know, people buy you and then they buy your company. But the re- the reality is they have to actually size up a change and a change. Nobody wants to change. And so if you don't actually figure out why they need to change and what do they need to change to, like, what is the, not the product, but what's the outcome that they're trying to get? Not the output, the outcome. And why now? Because the now is actually part of the energy. There has got to be energy and causality behind why why they're doing it. And if it's literally like, I don't know, then they're probably impassive looking because they got to actually size up the problem to make it big enough to make the change. This is, this is a great insight because if you're hearing things like, I don't know, or it's not a really big deal versus yeah. I got to do something, otherwise I'm going to lose my job. That's, that's a big, that's a big that, difference. That's a difference our- between... That's between, yeah, that's the difference between passive and active. And in deciding, it's going to be like, look, you can't have the perfect solution. You've probably got three other people you're talking to. So how are you going to decide? What trade-offs are you going to make? Nobody's going to do it perfect. And so the question is, right. And so so here's the thing that I've learned is, is in four, you actually need to give people prototypes. You actually need to make it easier for them to decide. If you give them one thing, it's almost impossible for people to decide. You give them three things, the first thing they do is eliminate one of the three, very off the bat. And then what they do is they compare the other two, not to each other, but to the thing they eliminated. And so part of it is, can you actually help people decide by giving them the right set of things to enable them to make progress? I love that. One of our mutual friends does this really well, Jason Freed over at Basecamp, who just released a new product call Hey, with just yep. a new type yep. of email service. And, and when I read the page when he first released it, and I'm going to butcher his words a little bit, but it said something to the effect of, you know, email used to be something you looked forward to, and now it's a chore. That's right. You know? That's and exactly so that, right. That sort, of, that sort of framing, like to your Weep. point earlier in the podcast, I just accepted email exactly. the way it was. And that one sentence got me to scratch my oh. head and said, well, yeah, it is a chore which automatically makes my brain say, let me read the next sentence. <laughs> so Jason, Jason wrote the forward for my book. So in the forward, it basically has, and he talks about him learning how to sell and how he learned all wrong and how basically he's he, he, in, in the forward, he goes like, and, you know, now I run a, a software company and, you know, uh, you know, and I sell software or do I? And he walks through and he then talks through all the jobs that he does and how he actually does them and what features fit to it and how he knows how to sell without having to actually sell. 
Yeah, he, he's one of the best people that I know. He's a he's a phenomenal copywriter, but I think a, yeah, a lot of his copy is really based on jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been we've been friends for over ten years, so he's 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 amazing. He's just. He's, he's, he's of uh, the same caliber as Clay where he just is a deep thinker. He doesn't take anything on the surface. And like, this is where we'll, we'll have a conversation. And next thing you know, we're like in the rabbit hole somewhere, but it's like the the rabbit hole is about causality of like what causes people really to do this. And, you know, him and Ryan Singer and David DHH, like where they're all that kind of way. So it's, they're, they're all, they're so fun to work with. Yeah, and when I was over at base camp and they were teaching me your approach, it it is one of those things that takes a little time to yeah. be able to do. You can you can sort of understand it a little bit, but thinking like a buyer is a different skill than thinking like a seller. And I think that's the purpose of why you're writing your book. Exactly right. It's it's almost like it needed the the yang to go with the yin, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> it's just the fa- the fact is is and and to be honest, I think like to be honest to, to my entrepreneurial friends who literally have to realize they have to sell. They're like, I don't need to sell. It's such a great idea. It's like no, you got to like at some point you got to help other people uh, align with where you're headed and understand how to help them make progress while you make progress. So. You know, it's, it's, uh, it'll be out the 22nd of, uh, September. It's, uh, it's, it'll be at Amazon. It's funny. Like uh, today they, they, they said, we, we need an email list. And I'm like, I, I don't want to give you an email list. Like, 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 I don't want to give this to a bunch of people who don't think they need the book. And it's like, so what I'm doing is I'm actually tweeting about it and saying like, look, if you want me, if you, if you think that you might need this later, or this is something you're interested in, click here and put your email in and then I'll send you you know, I'll send you some updates. I won't flood you, but I need you to opt in before I actually just send a, you know, I got 6,000 names in my, in my contact list. And I'm like, I, I'm just not turning that over. Cause they don't know, like, I don't know if they need it or not. I don't want to bother people. I love that. I, I ran into the same situation. I was asked to do a webinar by sales hacker on a topic and they gave me the list. I'm like, they opted into this webinar, not to Josh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they opted in for this one sole purpose. So if people do want to be updated on when the book comes out because they forget it, they don't have a reminder, yeah. how can they best do that? Um, so I have, uh, at bobmesta.com, uh, I've built that up. I also have uh, rewired, but uh, for the most part, Twitter is uh, at bmesta. And LinkedIn is uh, Bob Mesta. I'm just, just straight up B-O-B Mesta. And Bob, when this book comes out, I, I'm going to read it. And then we're going to jump on this podcast again, because I'm sure I'm going to have a bunch more questions. Oh, I'd love to be able to help with it. But it's, it's uh, to be honest, it's one of those things that I, 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 as an engineer in a million years, I never thought I'd talk like, I want to talk about sale. My wife looked at me like, you're going to do what? I'm like, they need help. Like I, I like they, at some point somebody's got to talk about the customer side of this thing. And so that's really what this is about. So it, it was fun. It, it, it's, 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 it gives me a chance to reconnect with you as well. So it's just fun. And that's the real reason that you wrote the book. Yeah, it, it really is. It's to, to be honest, the real reason, <laughs> the real reason is to, is to help people and, and connect. Like I, I just like Clay Christensen wrote a, wrote a, uh, book called how will you measure your life and it's really about how you actually interact with people and help people throughout your life and how they help you and so i've i've come to the conclusion that it like it's a very it's much it's a much better way that i want to live my life and that i'd much rather be um a helper of people and and a colleague to people and a thinker with people than you know build the best product in the world i'd like to help people i like to help people build the best product bob wise words you have said it Thank all you. I am eagerly anticipating this book. I know I'm going to read it. It's going to be dog-eared. I'm going to highlight it, and I'm going to have a bunch of follow-up questions. Hit Bob up on Twitter and or on LinkedIn so that you are notified when this book comes out so you could do a better job of thinking like a buyer instead of a seller. Thanks so much, Bob, for your time. Thank you. Been awesome. Good, Good to talk again.